Good morning. Well, if you know my husband, you know that I was not foolish in requiring him to behave himself up here. Um, I'm, I'm Ellie Carlson, like he said. That's my husband, Jake. It's just so good to be here this morning. So thanks for joining us. Um, I think it's seven years now uh, that Jake and I have been here at Vancouver Vineyard. So all three of our boys um, have grown up here. And honestly, we're just like super grateful. It's been a wonderful church home for us. Um, so just glad you're here. Marshall reached out to me um, a little while ago. Um, and, you know, despite Jake feigning ignorance, asked me about our series on our church's values, and he asked if I um, would take the week on community. And honestly, if he had asked about literally any other topic, I probably would have said no, um, which now that I think about it, he probably knew, didn't you? <laughs> Whatever. Um, all that to say, community for me has been one of the most transformational parts of my faith journey, so I just couldn't say no. And having the opportunity to spend just like really focused prayer and study time on the value of community, I am pumped. Like, I'm so excited. I'm full of hope and conviction. And I just ask that Jesus would spread that today through my words. Um, I just ask that he would use this time to minister to us and to just share the glory of the world that he has designed for us. So I'm excited. Community. It's not a value that's exclusive to the church. I feel like there's some things where, you know, you talk about it with non-Christian friends, and they're kind of like, fellowship? What? Like, what does that mean? But community, if you, um, I just think it's important to everyone. If you ask anybody, you know, if they think community is important, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who in good conscience could be like, nah, I think we're better off on our own. Right? That's just um, a global value. The mental health stats alone on 2020 say it was really hard on us. So I'm going to start with the common understanding that we weren't meant to live life alone. We weren't meant to exist in isolated silos. But today we ask, what is biblical community? What does it look like to engage in community in a way that has eternal significance, that brings about the kingdom of God? Jake and I heard a sermon as newlyweds, and you know, sometimes there's just those sermons that have an idea that sticks with you, um, and it was about the idea of kingdom culture, the idea that we all come from different cultural backgrounds, but as Christians, we are striving to live into the culture of God's kingdom. So today we ask, how is kingdom community different from earthly community? And a few years after we heard that sermon, we ended up moving to Bogota, Colombia, which is an amazing place. We were there for two years, um, and in the midst of a fantastic experience, there were also aspects of discomfort as we ran into things that just worked differently than we were used to. On a number of occasions, we went out to eat at like slightly nicer sit-down restaurants. We didn't have children then. Um, but we experienced this ongoing issue where once you were seated, you just kind of disappeared. It was like they totally forgot about you. If you were ready to order, you needed to ask a question, or like you wanted a refill on your water, it was almost impossible to get anyone's attention. And we kind of settled on, I mean, I guess the service is just different here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fast forward a year or so, and we come back to the States for Christmas. 
And it's this whirlwind trip of, you know, trying to see everybody and Christmas festivities. Um, and we were just trying to steal a quiet moment with Jake's parents. So finally, right before we get on the plane, we meet up at Spaghetti Factory, which I love, for the record. It was also the only place available. Um, and we sit down, and we order the three-course manager's special, because it's the best thing on the menu. Um, and as we're trying to connect and catch up after months of time away, we had plates spinning in and out of our table. I like, I think I only ate half of each course before that plate was picked up and the next one came flying in. And then on bite three of my Spumoni ice cream, the check gets dropped on the table with a friendly, <laughs> whenever you're ready. 26 minutes. It had been 26 minutes since we had sat down and we had ordered and been served a three course meal. And the message was kind of like, there's the door, off you go. And I recognize this is extreme. But in light of this stark contrast and with a little bit more processing under our belts, Jake and I were able to see through what we had dismissed as inattentive and frankly subpar service in Colombia as a reflection of a profoundly people-centric culture. Efficiency is not what Latin America tends to be known for, but prioritizing people first, I mean, they knock it out of the park. We have so much to learn. We realize that the restaurant experience is all about lingering, about being fully present with your meal and the people at your table, losing yourself in conversation, and the staff just does their best to stay out of your way not to interrupt. Oh, just such a difference that perspective made. That experience, along with many other similar ones, as we lived in another culture, brought us back around to that idea of kingdom culture that we had heard about. And we started thinking about it in terms of this like big, complicated Venn diagram that I made a an example of here where kingdom culture is at the center and all the subcultures of our world surround it. And they all overlap with that middle circle in some ways. And it's a gift to get to glimpse lived examples of different aspects of kingdom culture. But the flip side is the necessity of recognizing that even though it's what we know, it's what we're comfortable with, what we are currently living in, our birth culture, is not synonymous with kingdom culture. And I dare say that America, historically, having seen itself as a Christian nation, has towed that dangerous line of seeing American culture as kingdom culture. But every culture on earth is fallen in its own unique way, and we are called to be set apart no matter where we're born. So how can we use this framework, this kingdom culture idea, as a tool to better understand biblical community? What does it look like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom here on earth? How does the Bible paint the picture of kingdom community? I look at passages like Acts chapter 2. It's about the early church. And it says stuff like, they devoted themselves to fellowship, 
They had all things in common, selling their stuff and sharing the proceeds. They broke bread together daily. And then the passage ends with, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this passage makes me think about my own values, like my high value on independence or my very American bootstraps mentality of self-reliance. And I think it's not inherently bad, but is it maybe farther out on the Venn diagram than it is in? Other places in the Bible we read stuff like, carry each other's burdens. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. And there's a Greek word, koinonia. It's all over the New Testament. In that Acts passage, it's the one that's translated as fellowship. But elsewhere, they translate it sharing, participation, contribution. And in those many repetitions and the different layers of meaning and the different translation, it's made clear that this idea of koinonia, active, back and forth, sacrificial, engaged community is a fundamental trait of kingdom living. So how do we do it? You're like, that sounds super great, but I can't force people to be friends with me. Well, for the second half of our time together today, I want to walk through Philippians 2, verses 1 through 18. And I think it gets us going in the right direction. It's an excerpt from a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church uh, from prison. It's a little bit long, but if you'll bear with me, it's absolutely worth it. Um, And I just want to share with you what God's been speaking to me through that passage. I do ask that you don't let me be the last word. If you have time this week, this value of community and this passage from Philippians 2 are very much worth spending some quiet time on. I'm going to invite my friend Andrew up uh, to read the passage for us today. And as he comes up, I just want to pray for us as we open scripture. Father, we ask that you'd use this moment of hearing from your word to speak to us. We ask that you would plant in our imaginations the beauty of the world that you've designed. We invite you to highlight the areas of our thinking and acting that do not line up with your kingdom. We ask that you would paint a picture for us of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven and how we can better follow after you as we pursue your kingdom come and your will done on earth. Amen. Philippians um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... Then, take, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, you still with me? I told you it was a little bit long, but it's good, right? It's worth it. Okay, so for our purposes today of, of understanding the Christian value of community, for me, there's three parts in this passage. Verses 1 through 4 get at the how. How do we do it? Verses 5 through 11 take us through the why behind the how. And then 12 through 18 is the result. What happens when we live like this? So let's start with the how. According to the book of Philippians, if you are looking for community, it starts with Jesus. I mean, look at just verse 1. Unity with Christ comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, before we ever hope to engage in meaningful earthly community, we must first enter into community with our creator. If I am not in community with him, I am putting that hope and those expectations somewhere else. And if I'm entering into relationship with people, looking to have my needs met for joy, fulfillment, purpose, I will be disappointed every single time. And if I'm trying to be that for other people, when I have tried to be that for other people, I disappoint them every single time. Think of the two groups of people that are most known for public falls from grace. Politicians and pastors. Marshall's thinking, last time I gave her the microphone, throwing me under the bus with politicians. <laughs> but hear me out. Who are the people from which we least tolerate mistakes? That we have made it the most culturally unacceptable for them to say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Or maybe I have new information and I've changed course. 
we've created a culture that expects these leaders to be without fault, that asks them to be our saviors. And I think we need to take ownership for our part in that impossible expectation and frankly misguided hope. If we are looking for perfection and salvation, it's only Jesus. A quick aside, if you are feeling stuck in your relationship with God, I can't recommend highly enough a book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Our teaching team did a series on it a while back, so maybe some of you have read it. But for me, it was the closest thing to like a manual for spiritual growth. In her first few pages, she wrote something that changed my thinking that says, perhaps one of the most basic things we need to understand about spiritual transformation is that it's full of mystery. We can be open to it, but we can't accomplish it for ourselves. And then a little later, she continues, I cannot transform myself or anyone else for that matter. Sorry, married people. What I can do is create the conditions in which spiritual transformation can take place by developing and maintaining a rhythm of spiritual practices that keep me open and available to God. And then the rest of the book is precisely that. It's unpacking tangible, biblical, spiritual practices to help you meet with Jesus in a real and transformational way. Okay, end tangent. If we're looking for community, we start with Jesus. The second part of the how is that the roadmap into genuine community is service, humility, and selflessness. Verses 3 and 4 say, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And again, I go back to what does kingdom culture have to say about my own cultural values? And I hear and have said myself things like, just trying to be my best self right now. Or, you know, I'm just like, I'm really working on myself. And I like the sound of those things. And they're often said with really great intentions. But without a kingdom mindset, void of the God-intended forge of community, those pursuits are still just all about me. The world says, take care of yourself. Protect your peace. The Bible says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow God. The world draws lines and says, it's me or you. It's us against them. And kingdom wisdom says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. This is not another good deed to squeeze onto your to-do list. This is infusing everything that we do with the heart of Jesus. This is the way of the kingdom. And the final part of the how of community is it's messy. I recognize Paul didn't exactly say those words, but I do see it all over scripture, and I think we have to say it. If the community that we are living in is easy, always pleasant, free from conflict, agrees with us all the time, it's just not real life. And in turn, we miss out. 
we miss out on the gifts and the growth that God has for us when we rely on him and do the hard work of real community. I've been reading a book, it's very small, called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I just haven't made great progress because honestly I've read the same three pages probably five times. And I don't know if it's because it's translated from German or if it's just this guy, but it's kind of like getting hit with a truth baseball bat. Like, he is not subtle. For example, he writes, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. I read that, and I immediately had in my head times when that was me. I felt sad. I felt convicted. To me, it's not my job to design the outcome of community. It's my job to show up, to submit to Jesus, and to humbly value others. And then Bonhoeffer says, we pray for the big things and forget to give thanks for the ordinary, small, and yet really not small gifts. How can God entrust great things to one who will not thankfully receive from him the little things? My mom's family's of German descent, and I'm really familiar with like the no non familiar with like the no nonsense blunt delivery. Um, but this guy kind of makes me feel like I've gone soft. <laughs> But Bonhoeffer is saying that when we lean into and give thanks for the gifts of growth and fellowship along the way, our experience of the fruit of, the, of kingdom community continues to expand. Real life kingdom community is messy, but it's good. It's so good. It brings us to the why. Why should we live like this? Anybody want to take a guess? It's just that good old Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Why do we live like this? It's Jesus. But seriously, why do we seek unity with God and value others above ourselves? That's how Jesus did it. And the passage says he was exalted to the highest place, so he must have gotten it right. I watched the Bible Project video on Philippians, and it points out that Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, is like a standalone poem. And it's the central theme of Philippians. It's basically a summary of the life and work of Jesus Christ. And the video shows how this poem is then surrounded by a number of vignettes that make up the rest of Philippians. And Paul uses that structure to show that living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. God came to earth as a man to show us how to live. He became a servant he humbled himself even to a humiliating death. He chose to forego his rights or what he was owed as God of the universe. And in doing so, he saved the world. We follow this selfless, servant-minded model for community, not because it's easy or because it's the fast answer, but because it's the eternal answer. And that brings us to the last section, the result. This is the good part. The church, the body of Christ's followers, is a fundamental part of God's plan for saving the world. Full stop. 
God didn't come to earth as a man and slug it out on his own. He engaged the Jewish community. He gathered disciples. He trained up leaders and sent them out. He built the Christian church. He gave us marching orders. He empowered us with the Holy Spirit. And he said, continue my work of salvation, hope, and restoration. I don't know if you hear that, and maybe you feel proud and hopeful and motivated. Or maybe you hear that and you think of the history and the work of the church, and you feel hurt or embarrassed or disappointed. I personally am very familiar with both of those but I've come to a place of believing it wholeheartedly. For all the times we've gotten it wrong, the church is where hope is found for this broken world. And the Bible shows us over and over and over that the work of Christ's followers is carried out through intentional Christian community. If we look back at verses 12 through 18, after Paul writes about the how, after he writes about the why, he says, Therefore obey as you have always obeyed, and God will work in you to fulfill his good purpose. You will be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You will shine among them like stars in the sky. He says, man, you live like this? Just wait. You won't believe what God will do in you, through you, around you. The people of the church living in intentional, servant-hearted community is world-changing. The result of kingdom community is transformation. Jesus gives us a metaphor of what it will look like in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And it continues, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to an almost microscopic seed whose whole life's purpose is to get buried in dirt. Or better yet, the kingdom of heaven is like weird germ dust that literally just dissolves and disappears. Both of these things are nearly invisible and so profoundly transformative. A whole tree, fruit, shelter for birds, out of that tiny buried seed, or my favorite, a warm, fluffy, nourishing loaf of bread because of the dissolved yeast. Let us not underestimate the power of God at work in our world when the bad news feels so loud. Jesus says his kingdom will often be quiet, but it will be powerful. In my own life story, God has used faithful people of the church to change the course of my family's history. Both of my parents grew up in abusive homes. One of them was poverty and alcoholism and physical abuse, and the other is what I would consider emotionally abusive parents in the name of middle-class Christianity. 
And I know now that both of my parents lived in fear that what they had experienced as children would inevitably become who they were as parents. But those are not my story. My childhood, while not perfect, was free from those traumas. God and his church surrounded my parents, and my parents chose to look to Jesus, and in turn, the trajectory of an entire generation was changed. I don't know if there's anyone here that knows what it's like to fear what lives inside of you or who you might become. It is not in darkness and isolation that those things are healed. And I can wholeheartedly say that this church body, you guys, have shown me what it looks like to lean into kingdom community, prayer, sharing of burdens, serving even with buckets of kids in tow. This community has taught me how to lean into the work and the voice of the Spirit. Just a couple months ago, Lane Fish shared a word with me while I was holding a wiggly three-year-old, and that word has frankly been life-altering for me. She doesn't actually know this, but her words encouraged me at a time when my inner voice was particularly vocal at reminding me of my shortcomings. And then with more reflection, her words opened my eyes to where God was inviting me to speak up for my people. And I couldn't hear him, or I wouldn't listen, over the drone of that inner voice that was filling me with fear. Fear that I'd screw it up, fear that I'd be overstepping, fear that it wasn't my place. But it turns out the soul longs for genuine, loving, hard work community. We're made for it. And in these last few months, I've seen that community is one of God's favorite tools for releasing our giftings, for correcting and growing us, and honestly giving us life to the fullest. To close today, I think what Ruth Haley Barton said about spiritual transformation rings true about community. We cannot strong-arm it into existence. It's not something that we can wrestle into being, or at least the version that we get just pales in comparison to what's possible. But we can create, with intention, the conditions in which Christian community thrives. And as we walk through this series, refocusing on our church's values, I just pray that the full potential of God's intention for his, his church community would captivate our imaginations. That that promise of Philippians 2 would be an irresistible call to us to pursue unity with Christ, to look to the interests of others, and to do the kingdom-minded work of humbling ourselves for the sake of the cross, so that God may work in us to fulfill his good purpose. I don't want to leave here today without taking a minute for prayer and hearing from the Spirit. So I'd just like to invite up Carolyn and Jenny. They're going to lead us in ministry time, just as we invite the Spirit to speak to us. <laughs>